Um, what we're going to do uh, this morning is we're going to look at a very fun story in the Bible. Um, it's, uh, it's one that may be familiar to you or it may not be. It's uh, found in, uh, in Daniel chapter 3. And uh, it's, a, it's one of the most dramatic stories in the entire Bible. And uh, just to kind of give you the background before we jump into the passage, um, it takes place when the people of God are in exile. They've been invaded by the uh, Babylonian Empire um, and the best and the brightest and lots of people being dragged out of Israel, out of the north part, Judah, into, uh, into exile. And uh, the story of Daniel focuses on one of the exiles, a guy named Daniel, but also three of his friends um, who we'll meet this morning, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And um, the reason why we're going to look at this passage is that I think this passage raises some really interesting questions that I think you and I may face today. For example, this passage raises the question, how can you and I live in the world and you not allow the world to squeeze us into its mold? Um, think about your work. Um, what do you do when you're at work and one morning you get a memo on your desk and in the memo you're required to attend or to participate in an event that you strongly disagree with? What do you do? What if you're at school and uh, you have a uh, teacher or a professor who's um, requiring you to write in such a way that runs against what you truly believe? When and how do you stand up and stand out? Now, these are big questions, and these are questions that a lot of people are facing today. And um, in the West, um, how you respond to these challenges may cost you your job. There's places around the world how you respond to these challenges may cost you your life. So they're big issues. Um, so also say this passage, which was written probably 2,500 years ago, I think has a lot to say about Coquitlam in 2018. So if you have a Bible or if you have the app or something like that, um, turn to Daniel chapter 3. This is what we're going to be looking at, okay? So Daniel chapter 3, and we'll read the story. This is a great story. Daniel chapter 3. We come across King Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king of, uh, of Babylon. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was uh, 60 cubits and his breadth was, uh, breadth was 6 cubits, so 90 feet high and about 9 feet wide. And he sets up this image of gold in the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, I guess there's Scottish people there, and every kind of uh, music, 
you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But at this time, certain Chaldeans, or Chaldeans, uh, Chaldeans, uh, came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a fiery furnace. Well, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship your golden image that you have set up. Well, the Nebuchadnezzar was furious with rage, and he commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well, that's good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is a God that will deliver you out of my hands? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. The expression of his face changed Shadrach, Meshach, against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it's usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the fiery furnace. These men were bound in their cloaks or tunics or hats and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Now, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire actually killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, that's true, O king. And he answered and he said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Well, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come on out, come here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and all the satraps, prefects, governors, and um, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over their bodies. The hair of their heads was not singed, the cloaks were not harmed, and even no smell of fire came upon them. 
Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. <laughs> Therefore I make a decree. This Nebuchadnezzar is pretty impetuous. Any, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruin and no other god is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Jesus, this is your word. We pray that you would speak to us. Give us ears to ear, hear, eyes to see, uh, soften hard hearts. And may we respond to what you say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there you go. It's quite the story. Now, by the time we get to this chapter, um, our attention shifts away from Daniel. This is the book of Daniel. And it's drawn to these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so what do we know about these guys? Well, we know that uh, they've been given managerial positions in the province of Babylon. We know that they seem to be doing well. In the, it seems that they've been promoted. They have uh, pretty good jobs. Um, and they seem to be doing okay in, with the king of Babylon, this guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Everything seems to be going okay until a strange memo comes across their desk. <laughs> and this memo goes out to all the managers. And there's a demand. And, and because um, Nebuchadnezzar's, he's built this statue. 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. It's huge. And he builds it for a purpose. He commands all the officials in the land to gather together. It's almost like an ancient swearing-in ceremony. And he commands everybody to bow down to the statue. And that's what happens. The spokesperson makes the proclamation what people to do at his signal. When the band strikes up, they're to bow down, worship the image of gold. If they don't comply, they will be reprimanded. A note will be placed in their employment file, and they will be thrown into a fiery furnace. Um, now, when I read that passage, did anything stand out? Did you notice how repetitive it was? <laughs> I think that's kind of, it's important. Um, you have to realize, in, in, um, this is an Aramaic, that you know, they don't have bold or underline or ca all caps. And so one of the ways in, in Hebrew writing or in this in Aramaic, one of the ways to get your attention is through repetition. That runs all through the Old Testament. So always pay attention for repetition. It's a way of the writer to emphasize something. So what's being emphasized? Well, two things. One is that everybody's expected to be at this swearing-in ceremony. No exceptions. Secondly, they're all supposed to be there because the king has absolute power and authority to make this happen. And so not surprisingly, everybody shows up, right? And everybody seems willing to do what the king is asking. Now, you have to realize, for most people, this would not have been a huge demand, right? Because for most people living in the Babylonian Empire, most of the people would have been polytheists. They believed in many gods, so fine, throw another god on the barbie. I mean, it's no big deal. One extra god, I said that for you, Brett, you know, a little Australian reference there, yeah? Um, Throw another God on the barbie. Yeah, it's just because it's no big deal. 
If the big boss man wants us to bow to him, fine. That's, that's okay. And what Nebuchadnezzar is actually asking is not that unusual. He is king after all. He has conquered all these nations. And, and the thing is, and he's, he's saying, you know what? You can continue worshiping your gods. That's fine. Just make sure that you worship me or Babylon. You submit to Babylon before your gods. Right? Just make sure that, that number one in your mind is this kingdom. And then, hey, worship whatever you want. And so in our story, it's never a question that people are going to comply. Everyone's expected to bow down. Um, and just to be on the safe side, you know, if, if you're not going to bow down, there's a blazing furnace. And so the understanding is clear. Bow or burn. Toast the king or become toast. It's, it's very simple, right? And here's the thing. Nebuchadnezzar is not the first king nor the last king leader to demand this kind of loyalty. Throughout history, the state always tends towards idolatry. You see that all throughout history. I mean, you see that especially so in the 20th century. Um, and I, I think that when you reject God as the source of all authority, I think the state fills the vacuum. And um, I, I remember when I was living in China, I had, I had many um, friends of mine who grew up during the Cultural Revolution, which is 1966 to 1976, and that was led by Chairman Mao. And during the Cultural Revolution, you know, 25 million people were killed. And there was this expectation that you worship Mao almost like, like a god. And so my friend would say, like in, in, in China, um, before every meal, before you had a meal, you would go out into the courtyard and everybody would dance and they'd kind of dance like, my friends showed me how they dance. And they would sing a song in honor to Chairman Mao before they could eat. And they'd sing a song, uh, one of the songs is, I mean, they would sing, um, it goes, it goes, Mao Jusi Di Su Aidu, which means Chairman Mao's book is my most favorite book to read in the world. And you'd sing the song and then after you'd sing your song, you're allowed to eat. And so, yeah, Mao was kind of like a god. Um, you see this in World War II with Nazism. Uh, you see it um, with Stalin during the Cold War. You, you see it with national, you know, bowing to a national flag or anthem during NFL football games. There's all sorts of allegiance to the state that must be made. Um, so what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Well, there's a tension, right? And the tension lies between the demands of the state and the commands of God. And because they know, they, I mean, these guys know, they know what Exodus 20 teaches. They know the Ten Commandments. They know that, that Yahweh, that God, is a God of heaven and earth. And they know that he ought to be worshipped. And they know that no, what, what's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. And now, but they're told to bow to this idol. And so they're in a dilemma. What are they going to do? What would you do? If you were in the, the situation. Well, our passage makes it clear that they don't go with the crowd. 
And that's going to land them in hot water or actually a hot furnace. Now, it's important to note that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, while this is going on, it's not like they're looking for trouble. It's not like while this demand is happening, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with placards, with signs going, say no to Nebuchadnezzar and his unjust policies. No, they're not demonstrating. They're not, you know, standing up in the middle of the crowd saying, ah, we will not bow. For the most part, they're keeping their heads down. They're just trying to avoid this confrontation. They're off to the side, trying to stay out of things, staying under the radar, They're not pushing their religion. They're not setting themselves up to have a confrontation with the state. They're just trying to do their work. They're trying to serve the empire without worshiping it. Not looking for trouble, but trouble finds them. Because we read that there's people in their department who are jealous. And they're they're reported to the king. And all of a sudden, everything changes for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is surprising in a way because they they had served the king for for many years and there hadn't been a problem. Everything seemed to be okay. Um, We even know that early on in their career there was was an incident where they're told to eat a certain meal and there's like, man, we can't eat this because the food that we're going to eat is probably meat that's been sacrificed to idols, so we're going to go all vegan. We're going to go vegan, right? We're no, no... no meat, and, and there was a bit of a, a challenge, and, and they went vegan, and everything worked out, okay? But years had gone by. Everything seemed to be okay. They got on with their work. They worked hard. They did it diligently, but now all of a sudden there's a conflict. And so this conflict's unexpected. And I think we need to realize that that's the way persecution can often show up. You can work at a place for years. You can be open about your Christian faith. Uh, people know, people you work with, they know what you believe, and you, there's never been a problem. And then one day you're going to get a memo on your desk because someone complained. Maybe they complained that you didn't support an event or go to a parade or, or something like that that you're supposed to support. And all of a sudden, people begin to have a problem with your Christian values. All of a sudden, you're, you're called a bigot. You're called intolerant. And here's the thing, it can happen really quickly. And I would say it's happening very quickly here in the West. And things that Christians have believed for millennia are now grounds for dismissal. Laws designed to curb racism or hate speech are now being used against Christians to penalize them for holding biblical perspectives on what it means to be human or issues of sexuality, all sorts of things. Um, Did you guys hear in, um, I think it was about a month ago in Alberta, um, the the Ministry of Education was going through all the um, constitutions of, uh, um, of Christian private schools? And they're going through all their, all their descriptions. And with a, with a highlighter, they're marking all the areas of their descriptions of the schools that need to be taken out. Did you hear about that? And so any reference in a, to a Christian private school, any, any reference to truth needs to be taken out. Any, um, any reference to um, 
to submitting to God or Scripture, and that needs to be taken out. Um, what was the one part? Uh, yeah, one part, because in some of their descriptions, we say we believe that the, the Word of God has authority. And they say, ah, that needs to be taken out, because if you leave that in, it means you're submitting to God rather than the state. And so that needs to be taken. That, it was that explicit. That's what they said. Um, and, this, and so they're in a real dilemma. What are they going to do? I mean, things can change very quickly. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they never saw this coming. But now they're under the gun. They've risked a lot by not conforming. They've been caught. And they're dragged before the king. And now they're given another opportunity to get it right. Right? They get another opportunity to toe the line. There's no staying on the radar. There's no opting out. What are they going to do? What would you do? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I would have been really tempted to go with the flow. I think it would have been tempting for them to say, you know, to just go along with what's being asked. I mean, it's not like Nebuchadnezzar saying, deny your God. He's not saying that. He's just like, just a quick bow. Bow, acknowledge that this empire is preeminent. Bow to him. Nebuchadnezzar, he said, I'm not asking you to deny your God. Just... Just accept that our God is superior. Come on, boys. Just a quick bow. Go back to your work. It's all going to be good. I mean, I did defeat your nation. I did drag you into exile. I mean, come on. Bow to the empire. Bow to the God. And, and, and everything will be fine. And that's a temptation. I mean, people today say, you know, you believe in God, that's cool. Just don't mention the J word. Just don't mention Jesus, because it gets real awkward if you say that. You know, admit that, yeah, there's God, but admit that there's many gods. There's many ways of living this life, that each is equally valid and equally true. You believe in truth, but just admit that there's many truths. You're a person of faith, fine, but just keep that to yourself. Check your beliefs at the door before you come to work. And I think one of the challenges we temptations is just to keep ourselves quiet. I had a professor of mine, um, a friend actually, um, Ian Proven, an Old Testament guy at uh, Regent, and he says, you know, the pressure is on for, for us to be Christians only here in our, in, in our minds and just to keep our mouths shut. And again, loyalty to Christ can be costly. In some countries in the world, it could cost you your life. And so the temptation is always to keep quiet, to keep Jesus in our hearts, to keep society happening by nodding to the secular gods, bowing when we're told to bow. And so we come to the key moment in this story. It's a decision. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought before the king, one of the most powerful kings in the world, a king who sees himself as just slightly <laughs> below divine, and he's used to everybody obeying his words, and he gives him one last chance. He gives him one last chance. He says, come on. Are you really going to die on this hill? Now, I'm not saying, boys, I'm not saying that your God doesn't exist. I'm just saying he needs to come after me. I mean, is it really worth it to waste your life? I need to know, guys, I need to know that I can trust you. So I need to know that you're on my side. 
So bow, go back to work, go back to your God, and we're all good, okay? So what are Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego going to do? Well, how do they respond? It's, it's, it's quite remarkable how they respond. And I wonder, you know that earlier on in their life where they were faithful with the whole meal thing? You wonder if that kind of set them up for this big test. And you wonder if sometimes, you know, if our faithfulness in little things prepares us for faithfulness in big things, right? And so how do they respond to Nebuchadnezzar? I love their response. Because they look at Nebuchadnezzar. Now notice what they say. They say, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. They don't say, Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar. It's, it's an interesting omission. They say, Oh, they speak with respect, but they don't say, Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar. They say, Oh, Nebi. <laughs> they address him as a man. Nothing more. And they're essentially saying, you can have a 90-foot statue in your name, but you still wear underwear like everyone else. Like you're still a man. And I love what they say. They say, we don't need to defend ourselves. We don't need to defend ourselves. And I like that. Because what they're saying is that, You've seen how we work. You've seen how we live our lives. You've seen our faith, and you've also seen how we work. And there's no issue there. Our faithfulness to God has not made us worse. It's actually benefited you. And then notice each phrase that they say. They say, the God whom we serve. So who is this God? He's Yahweh. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He is the one before whom we are to have no other God, not even you, Nebuchadnezzar. And then they say, they say, the God whom we serve. Do you pick that up? All these years, Nebuchadnezzar's thinking, you're serving me. They're like, you know, honestly, we're not serving you. We're hardworking. But we're not serving you. Our whole life is oriented before an audience of one. We're serving God. And so they're, they're echoing what Paul teaches, right, in Colossians 3, that when you work, you work as unto the Lord. And they said, the God whom we serve, we're answerable to him, not to you. It's a good question to ask ourselves. Who do we work for? And then they say this, he's able to deliver us from the fire. I mean, if he is Lord over heaven and earth, it should not be a stretch for him to save us. He is sovereign after all. And then he says these words, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And I love this. There's no argument. There's no pleading. There's no protest. Just a quiet confidence that God could do the miraculous. But here's a kicker. You know this. I love the line he says, but even if not, right? Even if not. These are not words of doubt. They're not like, oh, I hope God comes through. It's just, it, they are words of absolute faith, saying, you know, God is God and we are not. God has the freedom to do whatever he wants. And so, yes, they expect a miracle. They hope for a miracle. But you know what? They live their lives with open hands before God. And I think that there's something to that, Right? Um, God is not someone we can manipulate. 
God is not someone, you know, through saying our prayer in the right way. Well, did you say it this way? And then if we get, you know, enough people praying, then God will finally hear us or we can do this and then we can manipulate. You can't manipulate God. He's good, but he's not tame. And so their words are words of absolute faith that we will trust him, that he is good. And so I think they show deep faith. They say, basically say to Nebuchadnezzar, we serve God not just because he's stronger than your gods, though he is. We serve God not just because he can provide a miracle and deliver us, though he can. We serve God, do you know why? Because he's the only God to be served. He's the only God around. He alone is worthy to serve, to worship, and to obey. And we serve him because our lives will only work when they're connected to the author of life. Where else are we going to go? And so, Nebuchadnezzar, we will serve God. We will keep serving him. And do you know what? Honestly, we're okay however this plays out. Now, Nebuchadnezzar hears this. And in the Aramaic, it says his face transforms <laughs> he is mad he is mad because he realizes that these these guys that it's not just nebuchadnezzar's god that shadrach meshach and abednego are challenging but they're challenging him and he looks at them and he says you little punks do you know who you're speaking to do you have any idea who i am you're challenging my authority? Are you kidding me? Now, I think it's a reminder that there's always risks when you say no to tyrants. There's always risks when you say no to the authorities in our world, whether they be your supervisor at work, your professor at school, teachers, government leaders. You know, I was reading a book recently. Maybe you've come across this by um, a guy named Timothy Snyder. And uh, the book is called um, On Tyranny, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century. It's just a, just a little book, but it's, it's, it's quite got a lot of punch. And he just says there's 20 lessons we need to learn from the 20th century about tyranny, um, about dictatorship and absolute power. And one of the lessons is really interesting, and he says it's a lesson for you and I to stand up and stand out. And he tells the story of Winston Churchill in 1940. Now, Churchill, I know he's no angel. Don't get me wrong. I'm not making into this great hero. But in 1940, if you know your history, you know in World War II, uh, Great Britain pretty much stood alone. They had won no meaningful battles. They had no important allies. The U.S. hadn't joined the war yet. They had entered the war to support Poland, but that was a lost cause now. Nazi Germany and their ally, the Soviet Union, they're still allied at this stage, are dominating Europe. And here's the thing. In World War II, in 1940, Hitler really had no special agenda against Britain at the time. And actually, Hitler expected Britain to kind of come to terms, especially after France fell. 
And a decision had to be made. What will Churchill do? Well, Churchill stood up and stood out. He told the French that whatever you do, we are going to fight on forever and ever. And he stood up and he did what others would not do. He refused to bow to Hitler in his war machine. Now, in hindsight, we say, well, that, that was good. We're glad he did that. But I'll tell you, in the time, it was not so clear. It would have been very easy to sign an armistice with, 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 with Germany. And, but he refused to bow to tyranny, even knowing that it may not work out. And so I want to ask you this question. What's this going to look like in your own life? What would it look like for you to stand up and stand out? Well, it may mean saying this, that, God, I believe that you can preserve my reputation and my job if I stand up for what is right, following my conscience and not just orders. And I I believe that you can deliver me. But here's the thing. Even if it doesn't work out, I will not bow and serve the God of cowardice and go the way of the world. Or you could say this, I know I'm expected to bow down to the prevailing ideas about our humanity and our sexuality at work or at school. I believe that God could show me a way through the challenges that I'm facing right now, but you know what? Even if not, I will not bow down to cultural lies. So where do you have to stand up and stand out? I mean, this is, this is really important. Um, I know I may not look at, but I'm getting on in age. <laughs> I know I still look pretty young, but no. Uh, I, I actually, I, I teach uh, college students, um, and uh, I often tell them, I said, you know what? I said, I'm actually, I can almost see the finish line for, for, for my career. I said, so... I know that if, if push comes to shove, it's, 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 it's not as costly as it's going to be for you. Because you're starting off in your careers, or you're young and you're still in the middle of work. Um, you have to realize something. That if you're looking at our society today, our society is more like Babylon than Greece. Let me explain what I mean. A lot of people think we, we live in kind of like, like a, a, a Greek context. And what I mean by that is they think that, you know what, if, if you and I disagree, we can hash out, hash out we could uh, lay out our arguments and may the best argument win, right? But we live in a civil society that we can kind of talk about different things and, and discuss different things and, and see which ideas come up to the top. And, and that's the way the Greeks operated. The reality is, is our society is becoming more and more like Babylon, which is basically shut up or you're in deep trouble. And that is a challenge. Because how, how do you discuss reasonably and openly in a society that's increasingly saying, look, unless you toe the line, you're in a lot of trouble. Uh, you know, and, and you know the stories. If you, if you know the news, you'll know, that, especially recently in... Um, University of California in Berkeley, uh, there's, there's these issues coming up. Um, but I say to younger people, because chances are, if you follow Jesus, it will cost you your job. You just need to know that. Unless something radically changes. 
And I think the challenge we're facing today is to bow down to secular gods or you're in trouble. And that's why I love this passage, because this passage reminds us, it brings front and center the question, whom will we serve? Who will we serve? Will we serve the gods of this world? Well, the problem is, is the gods of this world are not real gods. And, and if you worship, and if you align your life to something that's not God, it will kill you. Right? You become what you worship, and they're dead, and so you become dead. Our life will only work the way it's supposed to work when we're aligned to the one who says, I am the truth, the life, and the way. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew this. The early church knew this, and I think we need to realize this. Will we stand up and stand out when we're required? Now, they do this, and you know how the story ends. The story ends that... uh, you know, God meets them in, in the midst of the furnace, which I think is really important. Is that one of the themes in Scripture over and over again is that no matter what you go through, no matter what suffering you experience, God promises you his presence, right? And he'll meet you in the furnace. Or if you know Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, right? And so two things we know is that in the midst of suffering, God meets us in our suffering, I remember when my father-in-law, actually, this, I just did a, um, a funeral for the, a young woman. 50, well, she was 52, and she died of cancer. And I did a funeral for her last Friday. And I've known her. I knew her for about 12 years. And, uh, and she had cancer for a long time. But I remember speaking to her as she was getting closer and closer to dying. I met her at the hospice. And I asked her, um, and I kept asking her, I said, are you afraid? She goes, no, not at all. She had no fear. Because she knew that she worshipped the one who, who defeated death. And I remember the last day I saw her, I, I saw her at the hospice at Crossroads. And um, I said to her, I said, uh, well, I hope to come back and see you. I said, but if not, and I looked at her, I said, I'll just see you on the other side. She goes, I'll see you on the other side. And she died two days later. And that's the thing. I mean, we, we realize that what, the, what Scripture teaches us is that we, even though we suffer, God meets us in our suffering. And we know that the worst thing, the worst thing, the, the big thing that tyrants have over us is death. Well, if death has been defeated, <laughs> what, do, what do you got? The worst thing we experience will not be the last thing. The last thing will be life. And for me, that gives me courage to stand up, to stand out when the pressure comes. I hope you have that same encouragement this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, um, our lives will only work when they're aligned to you. Apart from you, we're in a lot of trouble. And we're surrounded with pressures to bow down, even just, just a quick bow. And yet we realize your word. We want to be people of, of your book. And, and, and your word teaches us that we shall have no other gods except for you. And where are we going to go? You're the only God in town. You're the only God who's real. And our lives will only work when they bow before you. And so we pray in whatever we're facing in our lives today. And I guess there's some here this morning that are under pressure right now or feeling that pressure. 
we pray that we would be faithful and walk with you and live our lives before an audience of one. That's our desire, and we lay that before you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's stand together. We sing in response.
All right, before we attack the bake sale, I get to go first, right? Um, let me leave you uh, with uh, these words in Hebrews. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay also aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, go in his strength and grace. Amen.